0: Welcome to Guidepost to the Crossroads. I am William Ramada. This podcast is to help you remember that you have a purpose in life. This is to motivate, inspire, and guide you to a happy, fulfilled life. The world can be a noisy place and we tend to lose focus on the purpose of our individual journeys. I use my various experiences, education, and other modalities to help you cancel out the noise and focus on your needs and desires in your journey. And welcome back to Guidepost to the Crossroads. I am your host, William Ramada. David Kushiris once said, The mind is a powerful force. It can enslave us or empower us. It could plunge us into the depths of misery or take us to the height of ecstasy. Learn to use power wisely. And that is such a great quote because in this, this series of the fear of failure, we want to talk today about the understanding of fear and then we'll end up just going over a few takeaways from this from this episode. And as we stated before, we all have some kind of fear, but I decided to focus on the fear of failure cuz I think so many people decide not to do things just because they're afraid to fail and you may need the understanding of why we're afraid to fail is it humility is it letting other people down you know pick your vice what what is the cause of your fear and in my life coaching that is my forte what I do is I help people remember why They do what they do. What causes them? Let's get to the root of the problem. And What causes you to have this fear? So we're going to talk about this today and where it comes from. You know, the human brain is one of the most complex things in the entire universe. And the lucky thing is you get to own one. You know, that's great, right? But if, if you're anything like me, sometimes that brain can get in your way. Because, you know, you don't have to be a psychiatrist to be curious about your mind. If you want to better manage your mindset, you need to understand what's going on inside this pretty little head of yours. Because ultimately, knowledge gives us control over how to use our brains. And to use our brain's incredible power, and that leads our way to a healthy mindset. But first, as I have said, we have to understand what exactly fear is. And, respectfully, uh, respectively, this fear of failure. We've all got to know fear in some moment of our lives. We all have. Fear of something. But while generally considered a negative emotion, this fear it serves as an essential role in keeping us safe, does it not? Fear is this survival mechanism. It is a tool, and its purpose is to alert us to the presence of a threat or danger. We have all felt this in some way, walking out in the dark or in a a parking lot by yourself in the evening or, you know, just something. Maybe you saw somebody that just, eh, just wasn't quite right. And to understand fear, we must know that fear always involves two kinds of responses in our bodies. The first one is a biochemical response, you know, and this is our physical response, how we react physically. And then, of course, we have the emotional response. We all know this one all too well. So, as we break these down, The biochemical or physical response is universal. And we'll we'll just keep it to physical instead of biochemical because I'm not a scientist and I don't care about scientific words. But it is universal, right? This physical response. Everybody reacts in a particular way. And you have also have known or have heard it called the fight or flight response. Which means the body is prepared to either enter into a fight, combat, or what we like to do is run away. This automatic reaction is crucial for our survival. When we feel a particular threat, it kickstarts the process needed to defend us in danger. Cortisol is released into our body increasing our heart rate, focusing our attention, and regulating our breathing. You know, this was very essential back in the days when we lived out in nature all the time. If we came across the lion, we would go into this fight or flight response. Uh, if you lived in the country like I have in some time in my life, and you see a deer At night, and the headlight hits the deer, they do the same thing. They freeze and they'll stare or they'll run quickly. And that's what we do. This is our physical response. And no matter if our stressor is mental or physical, we will still have this same physical response. When you feel failure, fear failure, The automatic flight response comes into action. Bam! The stressor is the task that needs to be completed. So rather than dealing with it or or getting it done, we find it easier to run away from it. Therefore, you never have to experience the potential of failure. This causes a lot of procrastination in people. Because they just don't want to have to deal with such things, so the emotional response—that's that's our personal response. It is, it varies from person to person all the time, not not like our physical biochemical response. So there are people I know people that I know that are just adrenaline seekers, right? They thrive on fear-inducing. Thrilling situations. And on the other side of the spectrum, there are those who avoid fear-inducing situations. So even if the physical reaction is the same, the experience of fear is perceived as good or bad, depending on each person. I do not like heights, (laughs) But other people do. So my reaction would be different. Because my emotional value that goes into that is different than somebody else's. So we're going to look at some core fears. And we have five of them that I want to talk about. Because when we avoid something, it could also mean avoiding a debilitating or fatal consequence that could happen after the fact, and this negative aftermath we are afraid of is the source of pain and the fear. It always comes from the source. So, according to Dr. Carl Albright, there there are these five core fears that we share. They are extinction, mutilation. Loss of autonomy, separation, and he added this ego death. So, what is this fear of extinction, right? This refers to our fear of losing our existence. It's essentially we, we have this fear of dying, and our body is wired to help us survive. So let's say you're walking and all of a sudden you trip. Your body is naturally wired to grab onto something to prevent you from falling. And if there's nothing to grab onto, you automatically put your hands out to keep your face from smacking the pavement. Nobody likes to face smack any pavement. Your body tells you not to eat something that smells funny or that don't look right, because you might get sick. You shield your eyes when something gets thrown your way. See, these are things that we see that we know are naturally wired to ensure that we do not die, we don't get hurt, and which, which is why this is the most common and probably the most obvious fear. Uh, I think part of that fear of extinction to me would be wanting to leave something behind, you know, wanting to be remembered. Then we have the fear of mutilation, and this refers to our desire to protect our bodies. Uh, Some people are scared of spiders and snakes because they could harm us physically. And on the emotional side of that, we fear something hurting us or violating, you know, our, our physical boundaries. You know, I think that's why so many of us, like myself, uh, we try to keep in good shape. We exercise, we eat right because of this fear of mutilation with a cross between the fear of extinction. We don't want to die prematurely. Number 3 with the loss of autonomy is the fear we're going to lose control. We need to have control, right? Control of something. And it's not that we naturally want to be the powerful one. We just simply seek control over ourselves to ensure our our own safety and protection. You know, this is not control over other people. This is control for me to help me to to keep me the way I deem necessary to be. You know, my own safety, my own protection is what I need the most. That we have our fear of separation, which reveals we don't want to be abandoned. We see this a lot in things in children, and why we would grow up to have some of these fears. Because sometimes as children we feel like we were not desired, we weren't we weren't asked to be a part of something, or perhaps our family was divorced and one had to leave, so of course you feel abandoned by the other parent. Everybody, everyone wants to feel like the part of something, the part of a group. You know, because this helps to secure our social status and prevent us from being lonely. As humans, we are social creatures and we we need the social interaction. And then finally, we have the fear of our humili- humiliation and this is our ego death, right? Our fear of our ego death. And this refers to the idea that we want to prevent ourselves from being embarrassed. If you tell them, you telling people that you're going to do something and you fail. That brings out an embarrassment to many people that we don't want to have. So, so we lean away from there because nobody wants to be humiliated. We want to feel valuable. We want to be capable and we want to be worthy of love. And this is something a lot of men deal with because of our ego, we don't want to be seen in this way. So, by understanding our deepest and our most animalistic fears, it's easier to evaluate why we might have such anxiety even over things that seem harmless, in mean, the, the most harmless situations. For example, think about how nervous you felt before an exam. If you had failed, it could have resulted in flunking that class, flunking college, something, meaning you wouldn't have been able to get a better job. Later on, you won't be able to make ends meet and support yourself, and then finally tracing back to the fear of extinction. Also, you might have had a fear of ego death because you worried that your classmates, your family, your friends would have judged you if you failed. So using these core fears helps us to lay out what is truly going on with us? What is truly scaring us? You know, I mentioned childhood, you know, childhood failure. Children with an early established fear of failure might feel learning negatively and even cheat on assignments. Rather than focus, focusing on what's best for them, they place present Presidents on validating their ego. From such a young age, many of us were set up to evaluate situations with the fear of failure in our minds. Considering these childhood effects, we can start to dismantle the long-lasting impact that presents itself to us today. You know, the first place to start it's usually with our parents, our peers, and anyone else who contributed to the development throughout you know, our childhood. And I've mentioned this in several of my podcasts about other things. The way we have been raised and grown up around our society and our culture, this affects us so much. So imagine how much it will affect a child over an adult. You know, our parents can set us up for failure by being overprotective, or they could be emotionally abusive, or maybe they ignore our needs. Perhaps you have been a child whose parents never let you fail at all, right? Every child needs challenge, needs disappointment, and other adversities because that is a natural part of life. And if, a ch- if children are never given this opportunity to experience those, they are robbed of the chance to grow from these mistakes. And that makes adulthood very difficult. Any parent, I think, would tell you they want to protect their child. That is a major goal of a parent. But unfortunately, many parents don't know how to do that in the best way possible. It's not like we have a manual that tells us what to do. So there is that time where they may be, become overprotective. But letting children fail means allowing them to recognize their um, their scale of their own autonomy, right? Being themselves. This. They begin to understand their abilities and how to make decisions and how those decisions can affect those things later on. And you know as well as I do, some lessons can only be learned by making mistakes. That is how we learn. So when that opportunity gets taken away from us, it makes the inevitable failure we face later in life so much harder to manage. I mean, because you won't know how to act. You won't know what to do. You won't know what's next. So when children have been sheltered from all this adversity, their entire existence, they're at a higher risk of developing later on um, depression and anxiety. they are robbed of the chance to learn from natural consequences that would eventually have helped them develop higher levels of competence. Your parents might have sheltered you if they completed your homework assignments for you, uh, did your chores instead of making you do them. Uh meaning you would have had to put in a little effort for your development, right? Though they might have been trying to help and maybe even make your life enjoyable because, you know, that's what we want to do. They were also putting hard... They were also putting in the hard work that provides you with that later gratification, but say your parents weren't overprotective and they still might have had a negative impact on your development if they bullied you without realizing it by maybe laughing at some of your mistakes or shamed you every time you messed up. I know a lot of people have been through that. If they were always ready to snap at every little slip-up, that could make performing any task scary now. Because now, as an adult, you're like, okay, if I mess up, what's my boss going to do? If I mess up, what's my professor going to say? You know, things like that. What's my spouse going to say? So let's say you had to do dishes, but you accidentally broke a plate in the process. If one of your parents screamed at you as a response, it could make doing any chore feel very stressful if you got punished for bad grades or if you've been embarrassed at school for getting something wrong, you probably that probably left a mark on you What if I mess up again right I mean how many people have said that? Even as adults, we can still hear that voice in the back of our heads, and it gives us stress. I mean, you could probably hear the voice exactly the way that it sounded. But as adults, now we are adults, we have to learn to move beyond this programming. Yeah, sometimes it doesn't seem to be that easy, but we can do it. Guarantee anybody that's listening to this right now probably has a smartphone sitting in the pocket or on the desk next to them or maybe you're even listening to this on your smartphone. And most of your smartphones have 32 to 64 gigabytes of memory. Right? So just say from pictures to text to thousands of unread emails, you know, you spam, whatever. Our phones can store a ton of information. And that seems like a lot when you're holding that little thing in your hand. Right? Have you ever thought about that? (laughs) But what's even more incredible is your brain. The amount of storage that your brain has. It is said roughly 1 million gigabytes of storage is available in your brain. That's amazing. Now, it can seem difficult to change your thoughts around. I understand that. I, I, I go through it. But information like this reminds us how capable we are to alter the way that our minds work. And there is enough science out there to tell us that, yes, we can do that. your thoughts are malleable and I would say undoubtedly capable of change. I remember hearing something, I think, that said you could watch TV for like 300 years straight and still have extra room in your memory. That is ridiculous. I mean... Who would ever thunk it, right? What exists in your mind can also be transformed. All you need to do or all you need is a real desire to do it. To do it. You need to have the real desire to change. And all you have to do is small, consistent changes. It's like setting goals. You need the smaller goals to get to the larger goals. So you do the smaller ones, smaller ones, smaller ones. And as you click them off, it makes you feel good. And you say, yeah, yeah, I got this, I got this, until you reach the bigger goal. In the same way with changing your mind. You have to become more aware of your thoughts and where they're coming from. And as I said earlier, finding the root of the problem makes it easier to dig out and remove it and make it so it doesn't come back. Perhaps someone else put a certain thought in your head. Is there a repeated thought that has followed you through childhood? Think about that. If, if you took out your notebook, made notes last week like I suggested, maybe write that down. Write down this question. Did someone else put a certain thought in your head? And you can leave space and put what that thought is. And then write down, is there a repeated thought that has followed me from childhood? What well, I would suggest you is sit and meditate, quiet space for a while and think about that. What is some repetitive thought that you have had from your childhood? And I guarantee you that one little thought affected many decisions that you made today. And evaluate the origin to expose the weakness of it. How a thought of when you were 10 years old affects you now at 40. You're not 10 years old anymore. You're 40. You have the right to make up your own mind, your own thoughts. The first time I ever heard that, a light bulb came on in my head and said, "Damn, that's right." You know those thoughts I had when I am ten years old. It don't matter anymore. I'm me now. I <laughs> I'm fifty-four now, but I learned this a few years ago. I was like, I don't have to live with those thoughts. Things are not the same anymore, and you don't have to neither. All right, so what are some of the key takeaways of this episode? You know, leave some space in your notebook or whatever and, you know, just write down some highlights. So we look at what is fear, right? How fear acts as a survival mechanism. This is number one. And its purpose is to alert us. About threats, right? How, where the threat is, how the threat is coming to us. And this fear creates two types of responses. We said the physical response, which is universal, it's the same for everyone, and the emotional response, reaction, which is different for everybody, is by individual, per individual, per individual. Key takeaway number two, the physical reaction is also called the fight or flight response. This is where we choose to either enter combat or run away. What is it you do? Are there some fears where you fight and other fears you run away? Look inside that and see why. Those who feel failure decide to run from a stressor to avoid any of the positive-negative results that we've talked about. You know, when it comes to failure, it's easier to run than to fight. Three. This is a big one because this affects everybody. Parents, peers or other people who contributed to your development during childhood greatly influenced how you perceive failure later in your life. It could be both overprotective parents and extremely critical parents that could have put a negative impact on you. Letting children fail is a necessity. They need to understand their abilities Learn to push through and see failure as a part of life instead of perceiving it as a negative. And of course we know some lessons can only be learned through mistakes. We learn through failure. That's what helps us grow, helps us get stronger. And when that opportunity is taken away, it makes the inevitable failure we face later in life much more difficult. When a child has been sheltered from adversity their entire life, they will face a high risk of developing depression, anxiety, and other issues later on. So, folks, this was part two, the fear of failure and... Understanding fear, where it comes from, and what are some of the essential causes. Next week, we're going to go, and I want to talk about changing your perspective of what fear is and how it does affect us, because our perception of things greatly contribute to the way we react to everything. Including fear. So, thank you for tuning in. And if you know people that could use a podcast such as this, such as this, to help them along, maybe this series strikes you and you want somebody else to know about it. Just send it along and have a wonderful day because it is a better life. This podcast has been brought to you by Culture Vegan Shop in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Culture, where the only thing that is missing is you.